Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Africa Inc. I'm Alicia Sekum and a lot has been happening on the business news front over the past month. Africa's most diversified economy, South Africa, is king no more of the top places to invest in on the continent. Kenya's two biggest retailers are teaming up to ease their financial woes. And that's as Steinhoff Africa Retail enters the fray and makes its stock exchange debut. So we'll be recapping some of the biggest stories making headlines this month. Before delving into the conversation, though, Africa could be on the brink of peril if it doesn't pull up its socks in managing revenue shortfalls and cutting its reliance on commodities. That's according to Rand Merchant Bank in its seventh edition of Where to Invest in Africa. Now, some countries are getting it more right than others, and one of the co-authors of the report, Celeste Fauconier, will be joining me in studio to take us through the key findings there. We'll also be checking in on how the first Further pushing out of elections in Kenya has impacted activity on the Nairobi Stock Exchange. We touch base with CEO of Rich Management, Ali Khan Sachu. Retailer giant Steinhoff International spun off its African business in a JSC debut. And with its recent purchase into Africa's largest retailer, ShopRite, Steinhoff Africa Retail may be a force to contend with in the continent's retail landscape. We caught up with the CEO of the new company, Ben Lagrange, to look at what the game plan is going forward. So we've got all of that in store for you. But first, let's uh, cross over to Bronwyn so she can highlight what's been making headlines on the continent. Bronwyn. Thanks, Alicia. Well, Africa's two biggest economies have clambered out of recession. Both Nigeria and South Africa recorded growth in the second quarter of the year. Nigeria's GDP expanded just over half a percent after contracting for five consecutive quarters. This was driven largely by improved performance in oil, agriculture, manufacturing and trade sectors. Meanwhile, South Africa's economy grew two and a half percent following two quarters of decline. The largest positive contributor was agriculture. The sector expanded 33.6 contributing 0.7% to GDP. But economists aren't celebrating just yet and have warned that economic growth remains under pressure in both economies. South African pension funds won't be used to bail out struggling state firms. This comes after reports that South Africa's Treasury was aiming to raid the pension funds of public servants for at least 100 billion rand. Finance Minister Malusi Gagaba has less than a month to find the $1.1 billion that is desperately needed to keep SAA and the national broadcaster, the SABC, in business. The Finance Minister has also said that Africa's largest power utility, ESCOM, needs soft support, while other state-owned companies are in need of millions of dollars to keep operating. Gigaba will present a plan in the medium-term budget framework later next month, but at the moment there is no indication where the money may come from. On to some company news, banking conglomerate First Rand has posted a 6% rise in profits. But at its first national bank division, rest of Africa operations saw a 32% decline in profit for the year. Despite this, First Rand is focusing on expanding its business in nine other African countries, including Mozambique and Zambia. First Rand is Africa's largest bank by market value and operates in 11 sub-Saharan African countries, as well as London and Australia. 
Kenya's largest retailer, Nakumat, is turning to its rival in a bid to ease cash flow problems. It's entered a merger agreement with Tuskies as Nakumat struggles to pay its suppliers and creditors. It owes Kenya's largest lender, KCB Group, as well as Standard Chartered's subsidiary there, close to $300 million, and has had to close up some branches in Uganda and Kenya as a result. According to Kenya's trade department, the two retailers jointly account for 65% of the debt to manufacturers. Nakumat is also East Africa's biggest retailer with operations in four other African nations including Tanzania and Rwanda. Cocoa prices are crashing and Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire are feeling the pinch. The two countries have approached the African Development Bank for a $1.2 billion loan and plan to use the funds to establish chocolate manufacturing facilities. That's as the two countries attempt to mitigate price fluctuations on international markets and encourage consumption on home ground. Global prices have slumped over 36% over the past nine months to just under $2,000 a ton. And that decline has cost the two countries nearly $2 billion a year. The two have also indicated they will create a buffer stock to limit global supply in a bid to push up prices. French lender Société Générale is banking on the continent's unbanked population. It wants to double its clients in sub-Saharan Africa to 2 million in the next three years. And it reckons the target can be easily achieved, given it's estimated that 80% of Africa's population is excluded from the traditional banking system. It's launched a new digital banking wallet called YAP in the Ivory Coast and Senegal, and wants to roll it out in four other African countries by the end of next year. This comes as it's other peers such as Barclays and Credit Agricole are shying away from African markets to focus on core assets. And Kenyan farmers in the Rift Valley region are investing in high-value horticulture crops as part of plans to diversify agricultural in the region. Here's more. How to make a decent profit in life? It's a tough nut to crack. On this farmland in Kenya's Rift Valley, the answers traditionally lied with maize and wheat. Peter Kimani, though, is investing in the macadamia nut. A tree like this one now, is, this is the sixth year. I started harvesting last year. This year, as you can see, I'm expecting to harvest about... Uh, about about 10 kgs. A kilo sells for between one and one and a half US dollars and Kamani has five acres of land with 350 trees. After de-husking he sells his macadamias to nut processing companies. Those kennels we pack them and we have to sell them to our markets in Europe, in uh, US, and we also selling in Japan, and we also selling in China. Jungle Nuts sources nuts from around 50,000 small-scale farmers. It comes as more farmers are being encouraged to diversify from traditional cereals. Crops like the macadamia take a shorter period to mature, so farmers get more from their investments. Seeing opportunity, Kamani has also set up a nursery from where he sells seedlings to other farmers. Africa potentially risks hovering on the brink of disaster if it doesn't diversify and instead continues to depend on current economic fundamentals. So, where's hot and where's not when it comes to investing in Africa right now? We find out straight after the break when we catch up with RMB's Africa analyst, Celeste Fokunia.
Grand Merchant Bank's latest Where to Invest in Africa report saw South Africa knocked off its long-standing top spot regarding investments in Africa, while Nigeria is not amongst the top 10 for the first time either. In the meantime, Egypt's economic activity score has ushered it up along the rankings, and that's along with Ethiopia, Tanzania, and Rwanda. Now, what the findings do is highlight those countries which have understood the need to adapt to the prolonged slowdown on commodity prices and sluggish levels of production growth and those that haven't and RMB's Africa analyst Celeste Fauconier joins us now with more of the detail. Thanks so much Celeste for your time today. Thanks. So for the first time South Africa is not in the top spot since the report was initiated. Are you surprised? Not at all and if we speak to our clients they weren't surprised at all either and also looking at the latest World Economic Forum's competitiveness report we also fell in those rankings. So essentially if we look at the methodology that we use we look at growth rates, we look at markets, market size, we look at the operating environment. So with the growth component, South Africa saw a recession last year. Yes, it's come out of a technical recession, but unfortunately that doesn't reflect in our numbers yet. Also, we've lost the second spot of largest markets in Africa. Egypt is now number one, then Nigeria, and then us. So those two aspects is what brought it down. But I just need to highlight that it was a very close margin between Egypt being now number one and South Africa. So it's going to be a tight competition between those two for the next edition next year. A tough competition. Let's take a look at what's standing in Egypt's favor right now, more so than South Africa, because as you highlight, one of uh, the things that's blinging bright on the investor's radar screen right now is the fact that we are looking at a sluggish growth environment and that hampering even our credit rating status further down the line. Absolutely. So just to highlight from an operating environment, South Africa is still yards above uh, where Egypt is. But Egypt has sh shown growth, slow growth, but it has accumulated nicely over the past few years of about a 4% expectation for the next few years. They've also been now the largest market. Mm -hmm. But just to show what they've done and how quickly they reformed after the Arab Spring is how that government clearly realized they need to do something to bring investment back into the market. And of course, um, comparing it to other sub-Saharan African markets, it's one of the most diversified economies in Africa. Not only does it have oil, but it's got agriculture, it's got manufacturing, it's got services. So all of those together with strict reforms after the Arab Spring is what brought it back into a very good spot. Okay, so recognition paid to the stride it's been making. Nigeria hasn't featured now on the top 10 because of recessionary conditions uh, there plaguing the economy, as you highlighted earlier. The country has, however, forecast an exit from recession for uh, this year. So how soon before you see that translating back into investor appeal and approach uh, by investors to the territory? I think in the next few months. So we've actually seen the, uh, the second quarter numbers for GDP came out mm -hmm. um, and they're now out of the technical recession. So we, we don't expect it to lead back into a recession. The reason for this is because oil prices are helping it. And, of course, oil production has now recovered. But the problem with Nigeria, I think, for the next few years, it's still going to show slow growth because it's not increasing its production of oil fast enough and it's not diversifying fast enough. Mm -hmm. So the core of its foreign exchange revenues is not doing well. Um, so that's why we think, I think it will go back into the top 10 uh, in next year's edition, 
but it won't go to the number three spot we saw it in recent years. Absolutely, which begs the question then on whether the rise in the oil price is actually a good or bad thing for Nigeria because it could, well, trigger a whole lot more complacency about how fast it's got to diversify its economy. Well, we saw that exactly after the global financial crisis when we saw a significant dip in commodity prices, but we also saw a significant recovery um, in the oil prices thereafter. So that complacency was very clear during those years. And hopefully um, Nigeria won't do that. But if we look at all the types of um, uh, forecasts for the oil price, everybody knows it's not going to recover quickly like we saw in, in, in the past. So hopefully Nigeria's government realizes that they need to focus on other sectors. Absolutely. Other factors that you hone in on ease of doing business, issues of institutional strength and governance, those are all uh, parameters that are closely watched. Ghana's slight fifth position was mainly due to perceptions of worsening corruption and weaker economic freedom. Surprisingly, though, Ethiopia, which is a country that is dogged by socio-political instability, has displaced Ghana in that fourth spot. Uh, fourth spot. So how do, you, how do you explain that? Again, going back to the methodology where a country like Ethiopia is going to grow by 7% and a country like Ghana at 4%, that has actually helped Ethiopia trump Ghana. Ghana is still a much better business environment, but Ghana is a much smaller market than we see in Ethiopia. Ethiopia is very close to being the same size as Kenya now mm. from a GDP and dollar perspective. So that's helping them, and we're seeing significant investment by the government into its own industries. And that's why we expect the growth to be maintained, what we've seen over the past five years already. Strong manufacturing sector being built, um, strong agriculture and agro-processing sector, so lots of opportunities there. How much does this ranking matter though, Celeste? because Algeria slipped from 10th to 15th place. I mean, its business environment is scoring relatively low, but investment still flowing into the country. I always say look at the methodology that any ranking uses. So when we look at the methodology, if you, if you take out all the macroeconomics from the equation and you only look at the risk environment, Algeria will easily be in the top 10 because it is still a friendly business environment. But the macroeconomics, maybe 2%, 3% growth, all still very dependent on oil prices. So it, it clearly depends on what a company is looking for. They should look for that in the methodologies that all the different rankings uh, across the world uses. Absolutely. Let's leave it there. Thanks so much, Celeste, for having joined us in studio today. Of course, that was uh, Celeste Fauconier, who's uh, Africa analyst at RMB. In the meantime, while Kenya's diverse economic structure, pro-market policies and brisk consumer spending growth still triggers investor appeal, how much of a spanner in the works is the current political turmoil and uncertainty in the country triggering? We get a better sense from Ali Khan Satyu of Rich Management, who's on the ground on that end straight after this. Ethiopia has brushed past Kenya as the largest economy in East Africa, while Tanzania has added impetus to its economic firepower, growing by an impressive 7% over the past five years, compared to Kenya's growth of just above 
5%. So, with Kenya's status as East Africa's economic powerhouse potentially at risk, especially amidst the current political climate, what impact is it having on investment flows and market activity on that end? Ali Khan Sachu of Rich Management joins us on the line now. Ali Khan, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. So the ruling party just yesterday uh, presented Parliament with proposals intended to prevent the Supreme Court annulling the results of uh, the upcoming rerun presidential election, no matter how they run. How have things played out on that end? We're in a very volatile, fluid, interregnum period as we wait for this election, which has been called for the 26th of October. But given the uncertainty in a very adversarial atmosphere, there seems to be some uh, 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 lack of certainty about that case. So the politics is weighing very heavily on the economy. The economy had already been hit in the solar plexus, the drought earlier in the year that we've seen, the cost of living increases, the slowdown caused by the banking rate cap have all brought the economy to, to pretty much now a standstill. I know uh, the government expects more than 5% growth. It doesn't feel like that down at street level. And then the, the political scenario, look, um, the sense is, and my sense is this, that the, that the state government won this election, um, that the Supreme Court uh, interpreted the law on a very constitutional basis. You'd weigh the number of votes in the ballot and say, look, even if you, if you throw out so many votes, they still won. So I think that's what they're trying to deal with. I think the opposition, frankly, probably suits them not to go to the election. I think that short of money, mobilization skills on that, there's not much happening on the ground other than daily press conferences being given by the opposition leader in Nairobi. Yeah. So you can see that, you know, they are probably worried that if they go back, they're going to take a very heavy defeat. But it's very unjustified at the moment, I'm afraid, and the stock market has dried up. we trading like two and a half million dollars a day, which is one quarter of what we normally trade. Okay, so the political noise having an impact on the kind of market activity we're seeing. Already Safaricom has been embroiled in all of this mess, with Ryla Odinga having called for the prosecution of six of its employees for conspiring with uh, election board officials to rig the, um, the past elections. Uh, has that triggered any share price reaction there? So Safaricom has been in a sweet spot all year. Total return uh, has been... Uh, about 38% year-to-date, uh, uh, if you include the dividends. Um, biggest market cap stock in Nairobi worth probably half of the stock market. Um, and obviously, the uh, leader of the opposition's uh, allegations were very serious. Um, and uh, the share price has retraced about one, about one and a half percent, which is, I think, the main message to take away. The markets are discounting what the opposition leader is saying. Um, and I, for one thing, Safaricom is a strong buy on any weakness. They are about to launch uh, an e-commerce uh, platform which will reach all parts of Kenya. And also, I think they're going to go geographically, they're going to expand because that shareholding is now moved from London to Vodacom. It indigenizes the company. And I think they're going to be able to leapfrog their borders for the first time since they've been listed. So 
look, I'm discounting what the opposition leader is saying, and I think the part comes to buy in the current scenario. Okay, so discounting things on that end. Uh, one would imagine, though, it's hard for investors to discount what you highlighted earlier, and the fact, uh, and that being the fact that growth in, eco- in the Kenyan economy has now stalled. It's set to have an impact on the banking sector. It's already having an impact on retailers. Let's take a look at that because Nakumat is turning now to its rival in order to deal with uh, some of its financial woes. So what have you made of this potential tie-up we're looking at with Tuskies? Nakumat has made many pronouncements in the last 24 months which have simply not played out. Um, the single challenge to any merger with uh, Tuskies is this that Nakamat is coming to the party with what, what is known at least $200 million of debt. There is no merger that can, that can envisage uh, Tuskies absorbing or making a, a deal which works for that debt. And many uh, market watchers think the debt is significantly higher. So I think this works in the interest and it allows Nakamat to leverage Tuskies' relationships with suppliers which is the problem for Nakamak, no one's willing to supply them. Here you can get supplied out of Tuskies for a while, but it's a band-aid. Uh, this is a situation when the, the patient is dead. The question is who's going to pronounce the last rights and how they will be pronounced. Well, certainly an interesting way to look at it. Thanks so much, Ali Khan, for your time this afternoon. Of course, Ali Khan Sachu is CEO of Rich Management. And of course, while that plays out on the Kenyan retail space, Steinhoff has listed its 71 billion rand African business on the JSC. A bit of good news by the company as it continues to be dogged by German investigations into alleged accounting fraud by senior managers. The newly listed company will now be known as Steinhoff Africa Retail, or STAR for short. So we caught up with the CEO, Ben Lagrange, earlier to get a better sense of investor appetite to its catering too, given the dark clouds hanging over its parent company's head. Let's take a look. I think, uh, you know, we've now traveled all over the world in terms of seeing people before we listed. And I can certainly say that the interest in Africa and the interest in South Africa despite a lot of noise from uh, the parents' uh, uh, processes with um, people that are in battle with, and also despite um, political circumstances that have been phenomenal. If you look at the book, we were trying to raise capital, one of the largest amounts in, in, in South African um, recent years of listings, and that book was oversubscribed almost five times, and that really goes to show that people have got trust in what we offer, as a management team and also in the country. Well, the main thrust of today's listing is to take that first step to creating an African retail champion. But if you look at the geographical mix of Star, it's mainly exposed to South Africa. Given our low growth environment and the pressures on consumers' disposable income, how do you plan to navigate that situation? Yes, I agree 100% right. Currently, about 6% of the store footprint falls outside South Africa. But if you look at those numbers, Please bear in mind that when we in Star talk about South Africa, it includes Botswana, Lesotho, Namibia, and Swaziland. So there is a component of, in general, uh, discussions um, that also would be labeled as out of Africa, out of South Africa. In terms of South Africa, yes, you're right, the growth must, might be subdued, but you must remember we play in the space of focusing on discount and we play in the space of focusing on value. And in terms of that space, we have certainly seen, even in tough times, 
that people shop down and it's become more accessible for customers to buy products for a bargain. And that is really what we offer the consumer in South Africa. So if you look at the two largest components being Pip and Ackermanns, those two business units continue to grow above inflation and on a life-for-life basis. You've got strong brands, as you've mentioned there, Pip and Ackermans, but diversification in terms of geography must surely play a part. Are you eyeing any specific areas in Africa that you will be looking at to enter in the near term? Um, I think we're not in the near term aiming new areas to move into. We are more focusing on where we are already established. We see lots of growth in terms of taking market share in those countries where we are already invested. You know, it's, it's much easier to add to scale and into a new country. So we will retain our focus in the countries in which we operate and grow our store footprint there. Again, to my point of earlier, to add scale and volume in terms of our supply chain so we can be a price leader in terms of the products we sell. Are you looking at any acquisitions perhaps in those territories or will it be purely taking brands like PEP into the territories and really solidifying the kind of presence you have in the countries you're already in? Yeah, I think we, we're quite fortunate. The star business model is very much geared towards what we call organic growth. So within those African countries, we're certainly not looking at acquisitions. Um, and we will grow the business units there organically by opening new stores and investing in the countries. So how does ShopRite then fit into your overall strategy? How will the re relationship work between the two companies? And will you be able to leverage off ShopRite's muscle to get that out of South Africa exposure you're looking for? Yeah, I think the, the, the ShopRite transaction, just to put it in context for you, so currently if you look at the brands in the stock portfolio of brands, we service our customer base by giving them a, a wide range of products. They would spend from their monthly wallet approximately 20% with Star and our brands. By making the investment in ShopRite, we add into this bouquet of um, products we can offer the customer base, food as well, and we are investing in a very, very operational and highly rated management team. Post getting approval for acquiring that stake in food, and we would be able to service the same customer base, but as a total group together, we would be able to tap into this wallet I refer to the tune of about 70-80%. Now, inside that, there's a lot of joint initiatives. We will sit around a table with ShopRite management to evaluate, and I'm very, very convinced that we will be able to grow our joint initiatives to the benefit of well, that was Ben Lagrange, CEO of Steinhoff Africa Retail. And that's a wrap for this month's News on Africa, Inc. But you can catch us same time, same place next week. From me, Alicia Seckham, and the rest of the team, it's cheers for now.